You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Father, we thank you that you have given us everything we need for life and godliness in Christ. The seasons change, but you never do. And uh, we know that we can trust that your word is settled and finished and, su- and sufficient for our needs so that we might glorify you in all we do. And as we s- read through the scripture today and see how the Apostle Paul sought only to elevate and to honor and to, to bless and to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, might that be our goal as well. We pray that as you illuminate us, we will be more obedient servants and that we will love you and love one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let's start, we'll open with 1 Corinthians, no, 2 Corinthians. Yeah, we can start in 1 Corinthians, we'll be there for a while. Um, we're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to read verse 6 through um, 15. 6 through 15, to give us some context. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 Verses 6 through 15. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight, we are of good courage. I say and prefer rather to be absent from the body than to be at home with the Lord. Therefore also we have as our ambition, whether it be home, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us, that you may have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are, if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. <clears throat> and he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Give me just a moment here to apprehend this message where we will be launching. So last time we were together, we finished up with verse 8. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Paul, in character, would much prefer to be with Christ, to be home with Christ. But he knew, and he talks about this in Philippians, that it was more needful for him to be here, to be working with the different churches, to be spreading the gospel. He was an appointed minister of God that, that uh, was, he was an apostle to found the New Testament church, an important and, and useful and blessed instrument in the hands of the Holy Spirit to give us the foundation of the church, of the New Testament church, that foundation which is carried through to today. And so even though he would have rather had been with the Lord, which would have been much better, he knew that, he knew it was needful for him to stay. And so he, um, Paul had an ambition. Now, Interesting thing about ambitions, and we'll talk about that. Let's read verse 9. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, Paul says, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. 
to be pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many kinds of ambition, and unfortunately, nearly all of them, especially when unsanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit, are wicked. Men seek to get ahead by nefarious means, and human nature being what it is, fallen and depraved, most ambition is terribly negative. There is an ambition, however, that involves and is subject to the indwelling Spirit of God. This ambition, as Paul describes, a desire to please God no matter what our, our condition is. That's what this ambition is. It's a desire to please God no matter what state we are in. Whether we are rich, whether we are poor, whether we are up in circumstances, whether we are down in circumstances, whether we are, you fill in the blank. Our ambition, Paul says, is whether at home or, to be at, or absent from the Lord, is to be pleasing to Him. Whether we are here in this mortal body or there in eternity, in our eternal bodies, the believer wants to please his master. That is our ambition, Paul said. This ambition is excellent and serves both to both glorify God and, here and now, to make us useful to those around us in a biblical way. What pleases God is always of great service to mankind. It may not seem that way, but it is. It may be acts of kindness or service or giving or, and this is one of the hard ones, it may be preaching the hard truths of God's Word so that people can be saved from their sins, so that they can be moved from error to truth, so that they can be moved from believing the world's way to believing God's Word. <clears throat> when children truly love their parents, they want to act in a way that pleases their parents. A husband should seek to do things that delight his wife. This is the idea. Paul prayed for the Colossians. He prayed for them that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that they would walk in a manner worthy of Him and pleasing to Him. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. Paul's praying for the Colossians. And since he heard of their work... And their, son, and their continued blessing of God, he said, we haven't ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may impress people, make a lot of money, and live your best life now. Gong. <laughs> so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. It's a, a, a blessed circle, if you will. As we obey God, as we study His Word, as He, through His Holy Spirit, directs us and causes us to be useful and a blessing to those around us, we study the Word more and we become more fruitful, more useful. It's like, it's like fine-tuning a good tool. I, hate to, I hesitate to make that kind of an analogy, but it's like that. And it's like properly tuning a good piano. And in the hands of the master tuner, those, little, those, mess, those notes that are just a little bit out of sync can be made perfectly in sync with the rest. And that, that actually is a, is, it can be an analogy or a metaphor of, the, of, a, of an established and well-working church that is busy about the work of God, evangelizing, discipling, strengthening, building, caring for one another. And so all of this is an ambition that we should have, that Paul should have, to, whether we are home, when we're there, we're going to be pleasing Him. And that's what we need to be doing here. 
In the life of the Apostle Paul, everything was devoted to the Lord. He pointed out elsewhere that none of us lives to ourselves and none of us dies for ourselves. The life of a believer and the death of a believer are to be and are totally dedicated to God. Romans 14, 7 and 8, he says, For not one of us lives for himself. Not one of us. And not one of us, not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Have you planned what's going to happen when you die? As much as you can. <laughs> for your, maybe the messages that will be given at, at your funeral, at your service. For we're not our own. We don't die to ourselves. We die for the Lord. As much as have you planned for what's going to happen today. Now, the best made plans often fail here on planet Earth. Always have a backup plan. But nevertheless, the plan should be to be ambitious for the Lord, to be pleasing to Him. What can I do today that I know, biblically speaking, will please the Lord? We live, indeed, every day of our lives should be a living sacrifice to God. This requires daily that we conform our lives and our thoughts to the Word of God. As we demonstrate, and that will cause us to demonstrate to the world that the will of God is perfect. Maybe not comfortable sometimes, but perfect. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world. That means don't be pushed into the mold of this world. Um, and all of us have, we all can picture what that means. Like so I, my mother used to make, and my grandmother used to make these pie, or these cakes, and they had this weird-looking mold that, what did they call those? With the bunt cake. Yeah, bunt cake. That's right. Why do they call it that? Why do they just call it a chocolate cake that tastes really good? Maybe that's what that means. But at any rate, not to be pushed into a mold to be made to conform to a pre, pre-designated fitted actions and activities that will satisfy the world. God wants us to be conformed to His will, to His image. Okay, I was reading the Scripture and I got carried away and the Scripture is better. Therefore, I urge you, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, and do not be conformed to this world, don't be pressed into the mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And as we, as Paul says, as we have the ambition to be pleasing to the Lord, whether we're there or here, then our lives will begin to conform to the will of God, to the Word of God, and we will be pleasing to Him. Any comments or questions about verse 9? Sometimes it's, it's, it's uh, difficult, is it not? To avoid the mold of the world, M-O-U-L-D. Anyway, Paul said, whether we're there or here, our ambition is to be pleasing. That is a good ambition. For, why, Paul says, why? One of the reasons why. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Did you know that the deeds you have done since you became a Christian are going to be recompensed one way or the other, whether they were good or bad? Every single one of them. Now, I don't know how he's going to do that. Fast forward playing on a, on a DVD of our, of, on the clouds. But one way or the other, He's God. He will be able to review with us 
everything that happened in our lives. When Christ died for the sins of the elect, he died for every sin of the elect. Every sin. Past, present, and future. His payment redeemed all believers of every, every sin they ever committed. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, And he himself bore our sins on, in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. Hebrews 10, 12. But he, that is Christ, having offered our one sacrifice for sins at that time, sat down on the right hand of God, at the right hand of God. Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Hebrews 10, 17 and 18. And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Colossians 2.13, When you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions. And finally, Acts chapter 13, verses 38 and 39, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through Him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through Him... Everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed from through the law of Moses. Have your sins been forgiven? For how long? What's that? Forever. Your sins have been forgiven forever. Is that not a comforting thought? Is that not an, uh, an impetus to serve Him, to love Him, to bless Him? For being joyous. It's a joyful thing to have sins forgiven. The judgment seat, or the bema, which is in Grecian times simply a raised platform, something like this, from which a triumphant conqueror looked out over his subjects. It was also in Greek culture the place of judgment where convicted criminals would come for sentencing. It was used for the judgment seat of Pilate in Matthew chapter 27, verse 19, and in John 19. It was used as the judgment seat of Herod in Acts chapter 12, 21 and Festus in Acts chapter 25. In the Septuagint, the word is used in the same way in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 4. <coughs> Excuse me. In order for a just judge to sit in the bema seat for the every creature he made, past, present, and future, <clears throat> and give appropriate sentences, rewards, and punishments, he would have to be omniscient. He would have to know everything. He would have to be all-powerful. He would have to be all just. Who rises to that description? None but the Lord Jesus Christ. He will sit on the Bema seat. <clears throat> and he loves you. Okay. I, I can't imagine what it's going to be. Yes, Jan. Do you want him to weigh those things in some sort of balance? I don't care how many good things you think you've done. The balance is going to be so hard to the negative that if... And it should be troubling. It should be troubling for anyone who is outside of Christ. That if they stand before Him, and I tell you what, God has given every creature a conscience. They know, they know that there isn't enough good I can do. And so even when they say something like that, it's with a trembling voice. Well, I just hope He thinks I've done enough good. You know you haven't. You're as worthless as I am. Negative. We're negative. We're a negative influence in the universe. So in order for a judge to sit in that Bema seat, 
He would have to know everything about you, past, present, and future. He would have to have the power to do something about that past, present, and future. And the only person who fits that description is the second person of the triune Godhead, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Jehovah, the first, and, and also the Holy Spirit could, but by biblical prescription, Christ will sit in the bema. A parallel passage in Romans chapter 14 speaks of this judgment seat being occupied by God. Romans 14.10, But you, why do you judge your brother? Or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. This is entirely appropriate, for as you know, Christ is the second person of the triune Godhead. This judgment will be individual and not corporate. The church will not be judged. Mankind will not be judged. Nations will not be judged. Individuals will be judged. Individuals will be judged. Those who do not have Christ will continue in their judgment of hell. Those who are the saved will be recompensed for their deeds done in the body, whether they be good, agathos, or bad, phallus. Good deeds, those done after salvation with the right motivation, at the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, at the direction of the Holy Spirit, which are thus honorable, upright, good in nature, intrinsically, which are intrinsically good, will be rewarded. The Greek word is agathos, of good constitution or nature, useful, salutary, pleasant, agreeable, joyful, happy, etc., I, I apologize, I conflated the two. Is, is this is believer's Bema judgment. Okay, good, good catch. Two judgments. Yeah, and those who have been judged to be in hell will continue in hell. But there are two judgments. Uh, what I'm talking about today is the Bema seat judgment, where believers come before the, beaver, the, Bema, the Bema seat, <laughs> that seat, that important seat up there, and then their, their actions, whether good or bad, are judged. No, we'll get to that. Okay. No, punishment was taken by Christ. All punishment that believers could have ever suffered has been applied to Christ. Done. It was done at the cross. Actually, or not received. Correct. Correct. We'll, we'll, and, and actually, wonderfully, the rest, other parts of the Word of God flesh this out for us. So, bad deeds from the Greek phallos, not kakos or poneros, which mean moral evil, but rather the idea is worthless or useless. Those deeds will not be rewarded. I didn't say punished. They will not be rewarded. But you will know what you could have done. What you could have done. So this is uh, of no account, uh, base, useless. It, it, it is a more common word that is used not of the moral evil of Satan and of, of unbelievers and of us before Christ, but of useless things. All of us have done things that we would say um, are uh, indifferent. There's nothing going to be indifferent from, for God at the Bema Seed. We will find out whether it was good or bad. <coughs> and what will happen or not happen, as Peter has pointed out. A believer's sin will not be judged here. That has been done away. Christ took the penalty of our payment, uh, the payment of our sin, took the penalty of our sin on himself at the cross and answered for everything we ever did to God, and we were imputed His righteousness as our sins were imputed to Him. That is done. That's done, and it's never going to be brought back up. God is not the kind of guy who's going to say, you know what I could have done to you. We know what He could have done to us. What He's going to say is, here are some things you did in your life. 
God is satisfied with the life of a believer because he or she is covered in Christ's righteousness. This will rather be a review and a judgment of the activities of the believer's life. Certain things will result in reward, and other things will have no reward. And you will know the difference. We will know the difference. <laughs> there will be no punishment, but here there will be an understanding of every, every motivation that one had, every heart attitude that one had. Are our hearts easy to understand and above board and... and Jeremiah 17, 9 says that our hearts are desperately wicked. Who can know them? Well, guess who can know them? The Bema judge. He knows them. We will all know whether what we did was done for the glory of Christ in a humble, dedicated, Holy Spirit-motivated way or if it was done in a useless, worthless way for our own satisfaction, our own edification, our own use. We will know those things. 1 Corinthians 3 explains. Oh, I was already there. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. For no man can lay a foundation other than, that, other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, <coughs> wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on remains, he will receive a reward. If any, man, if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, no reward. But he himself will be saved, yet as though through fire. There's different degrees of that. Those who have been Christians for a long time will see some of their works burned up. And they will know why. And they will agree with the Bema judge. So they will see some of their works remain. And it will be their delight to lay those things at the, at the feet of the Savior who is really responsible for them, really responsible for them. <clears throat> Throughout the life of a believer, many things are done. They may be good, bad, and I'm, these words are in, in the proper biblical quotations. Good as defined by Scripture, bad as defined by Scripture, indifferent. Good, bad, or indifferent as defined. This verse describes the result of those good or bad things with an assessment that the Lord Jesus Christ will make and that the individual will be aware of. This is not something that will be blasted. I don't believe this is going to be blasted throughout the universe. This is an individual assessment of each and every believer's life that the Lord Jesus Christ will carry out for the purpose of assigning reward. And it will be done in the kind of love that only the creator of the universe can manifest. And you will be grateful. We will be grateful. As 1 Corinthians says, those works which survive the fire will receive a reward. Those which do not will result in that believer knowing what he could have done, and it will be a loss to him. But there will be no punishment. Let's make sure we get that straight. There will be no punishment. The punishment was taken. By his stripes, we are not damaged. We are healed. By his stripes, we were healed. And healed to good works. Healed to good works. The judgment seat of Christ... One commentator put it this way. He said, the judgment seat of Christ, and this is, a, this is a human analogy, so take it as that, okay? There are some things about God and about heaven that we are not going to get until we are there. And I'm of the opinion, and this is just my opinion, that for people like me, it's going to take a while to get some of them. Because he is so lofty and so lifted up and so perfect that a lifetime of not knowing what that was like, that's like, might take some time. 
because I'm not God. We're not God. He is God. He is God. So the judgment seat of Christ might be compared to a commencement ceremony. At graduation, there is some measure of disappointment and remorse that one did not do better and work harder. However, at such an event, the overwhelming emotion is joy. Joy, not remorse. The graduates do not leave the auditorium weeping because they did not earn better grades. He didn't know me very well. Rather, they are thankful that they have been graduated and that they did, and, and they are grateful for what they did achieve. To overdo the sorrow aspect of the judgment seat of Christ is to make heaven hell. To underdo the sorrow aspect is to make faithlessness inconsequential. We are to be faithful to Christ. And He will judge our works based on Scripture, based on His character. And we will receive either reward or no reward. Yes. This is believers. This is judging a believer's life. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. Jim, you were going to comment. And we love her for it and thank her for it and, and maybe even reward her for it, but God will not. And that sounds hard. But the fact is, at the fall, everything was wrecked. Everything. Nothing was left untouched by sin. Nothing. Zero. And so every act of an unbeliever sounds arrogant. Well, only you believers think you're better. No, no, that is not what I think. Not at all. At regeneration, I have no idea why he chose me. But at regeneration, I became capable. The scripture says I became capable of actually doing something that would please him. And that's what I want to do. Before that, it didn't interest me. That is one of those concepts that would probably take four or five Sunday schools. I'll do my best here. <laughs> God knows what's going to happen, but we do not. That's a start. The knowledge that we didn't fulfill what we wanted to do will be covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at that time, as it, that poor analogy, we'll recognize we could have done better, but the overwhelming sense will be of joy and great gratefulness. I don't know if I can quantify for you the idea that there will be no tears in heaven. I still think we will have memories. Somehow, we will be able, and, and I wish I could explain this for you, but I can't. So just, maybe there's somebody in here who can. But somehow, we will be able to look back upon the poor things we didn't do that we should have, and yet still have the joy of the Lord in a, in a way that is uncomparable, is not comparable to now. I know that may not be as comforting as it should be, but somehow, the joy that we will have in his presence will completely overshadow the lack of service we had here. Jim. And we'll be aware. We, we will be in glory as created beings, not as gods. I'm trying to, I'm trying to stretch this answer out for another <laughs> 50. So I was driving... Yeah, I don't know about whether we can see forward or back, but that's a good, the, the point you made is a good point. Why would we look back? Yeah. Part of the answer is we are creative beings, created beings. He is not. He is the authority. And I will get to your answer. I'll get to your question, Brad. Part of it is misunderstanding free will, which we did not have before regeneration. Who saved me? You know, I knuckled down one day and I finally figured out what the scripture says and I gutted it out myself and I got to my knees and I, no, that isn't what happened. God reached in and he changed my mind. He changed my will. He gave me the ability to trust him. Before that, 
not only, my free will didn't provide the ability to trust that. My free will was useless. My free will would only continue to serve sin. That's all my will would do. That's all I could do because I wasn't regenerated. Regeneration is when the Lord gives you the faith, said that faith is not of yourselves. Well, who's it of? It's from God himself. That's part of the answer. After that, our will can be conformed to the Holy Spirit. Our will can then actually be used by God in a positive manner. Well, he can use our will any way he wants. Okay, I saw a hand before Ron. <laughs> I thought I saw a hand. Yeah, Julian. Okay, so at the Bema seat, it is my opinion, this is sanctified speculation, it is my opinion that the overwhelming sense will be of joy for what he has done from salvation forward, actually from salvation because of salvation forward. We will see the things we could have done that could have been better. That's what the beam is about. There will be things we did that will not receive reward. That will be, and I, I don't know, I don't have the... Uh, the language capability of describing this to you. But it will be, it will be, there will be no remorse. There will be an understanding that it could have been done better. But the overwhelming sense will be of the joy that God gives us because of those works that he planned for us in eternity past that by his grace we did have brought him joy, brought him blessing, and brought him glory. That will be the overwhelming sense at the Bema Seat. I haven't found, at least from my own understanding in Scripture, enough other information to go beyond that. And we have to be, at least in my estimation, we have to be very careful not to build doctrines on stuff that we think the Scripture might be saying. I don't know how God will be able to, at the Bema Seat, cause us to be thoroughly excited and joyful for the good grades we got, while understanding we could have been better, we could have done better than a C-plus here. We could have done better than a D minus there. Without sorrow. Without tears. Because he will wipe them away. Now there are those who believe that that happens in heaven and this is before heaven. That this is in the timeline. We live in time. In the chronology, this is before we actually finally are in heaven. That the Bema Seat judgment occurs there and there could be tears there. I'm not with them on that. But only because of my opinion. Not because of something I found in scripture. Okay? Any other comments about that? And we will get to the... Jess, our body has not been redeemed. And we will have that redeemed body and a little bit, whatever it is, he says, we will see him as we... We will know him. We will see him as he is. It doesn't describe exactly as he is right now. We know not. We see through a glass darkly. But all of this, this is the worst answer that a Sunday school teacher can give, it seems like. But... You're going to know when you get there. It's like, it's like, how will I know when I see a rattlesnake? You'll know when you see one. You'll know. I don't have a detailed answer for, for you, and maybe there is one. I've studied this out, and I couldn't really find one that other people have, a detailed answer for the tears, no tears. But I think she's nailed it, that we're going to be so grateful for the salvation and for the work that he did that there's going to be no room for remorse. Just an understanding. Have you ever had a situation where you knew you could have done better, but it didn't tear you up? That's as close as I can get. And there'll be no punishment for that. Just no, no extra reward, yes. And, in, and, and remember that little phrase? It, w w there'll be a different understanding. He says, we will know as we are known. 
We don't know that right now. We know that we're not very good people to be knowing, known. God doesn't see us that way. He sees the righteousness of his son. That's, to me, that's unimaginable. I haven't got the imagination really to, to fully understand that aspect of me. I know what a wretch I am. And uh, so, we kind of got, this was not off the track, this was good. We'll talk about predestination um, sometime in the 2021s. In our area. In a, in, in, yeah, in the next millennium. I'll work on that, um, kind of form a basis for it so you'll understand that even though we have been called to do good deeds, <laughs> God can see down through. How, how can he hold us responsible for something that he is responsible for, essentially, is what you're asking. Oh, that's a good one. And we ran out of time. Um, so I wanted to get to this, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest. We're not going to be able to get there. But Paul, Paul is working through a series of propositions here, if you will, even though this is supposed to be um, not a doctrinal epistle. It is highly doctrinal. But from the perspective of the, the, the illuminated or the, uh, the inspired thinking of the Apostle Paul in explaining to us what he was going through, he is telling the Corinthians what he's going through right now. So let's just, just close this up with here. Finish this up. He said, um, we, we looked at the one commentator who said it's like a graduation ceremony, kind of, where you're glad you graduated, you're joyful, there were things you could have done better, but at the overall senses of joy, overdoing the joy, overdoing the aspect of no judgment could, um, what did he say? To underdo the sorrow aspect is to make faithfulness inconsequential. I don't want to make faithfulness inconsequential. There will be some understanding that we could have done better. But to overdo the sorrow is to make heaven hell. And explaining the stimulus aspect of knowing about the beam of judgment, another commentator said this, what one of the things that the Lord puts things into Scripture for is to stimulate us, to cause us to move towards the things that He has for us in life. The Holy Spirit will do that. Because much is required of those to whom much has been given, the thought of the judgment seat of Christ has for the Christian a peculiar solemnity. It is not meant to cloud his prospect of future blessedness, but to act as a stimulus, a strong stimulus as the most imperious of human ambitions. For the word translated labor in the, in the, in the New Testament, we make it our aim, means literally we are ambitious. So what is, one of the aspects of putting this into Scripture, the Bema Seat, is to, is to make us, help us recognize there will be reward for good deeds. There will be reward. There will be no reward for bad, for worthless deeds. Make it your aim to do the good deeds. That is part of what is going on here in this section of Scripture. Before we close, are there any questions about that? We'll get back to, we, re, we really will. Did I see a hand? I didn't. Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this, this section of Scripture, even the hard truths of Scripture that, uh, that may not have fully complete understanding here. We trust you and know that we will understand as we are understood when we get there. Lord, we want to make it our ambition to do the things in the body that you have proscribed or prescribed for us that will bring you glory, that will bring you delight, that will bring you fame, and that will bring you um, joy. 
We want to be those kind of people that, because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us, are those who are spoken of as ones who loved one another. For one of the things, one of the deeds that you have prescribed that will bring you great glory is when we take care of one another, when we trust one another, when we believe one another, and when we care for one another, when we love one another. Might we do those things today, and we thank you for this body who does that by the work of the Holy Spirit in them every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.